we're here. We, we took time to dissect a, a well-known parable in, in the book of Luke. Uh, if you remember, the miraculous catch of fish. And I thought we'd kind of keep that theme going today and stay in the book of Luke and review another passage of Scripture that is very familiar to our ears. It's in Luke chapter 15, and we read there one of the most well-known and kind of best-loved story that Jesus ever told. He was such a good teacher, was he not? And he often used his surroundings and brought in relevant examples to make his point. He really was. If you look at Jesus, he really was a master teacher. So we often use parables to teach. And a parable, as you know, is an earthly story that we can relate with, but the story has a heavenly meaning. It's similar to our saying, a picture is worth a thousand words. So it's true with the Lord. He paints a picture where his truth, what he wants made known to us about himself, about heaven, can be seen as he relates it back to our lives. But how he taught is secondary to what he taught. As good of a teacher as he was, as wonderful were his methods, his message was even better. And in this parable, there's one central truth that just leaps off the page. And hopefully it will make it into our hearts today, and that is that God loves sinners. It is the truth that about the deep, deep love of God for lost people. And this chapter makes it abundantly clear. The Lord welcomes sinners and seeks sinners because that is the heart of God. That's the heart of Jesus. So in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells one long parable, really. But within it, it contains three stories that underline this one central truth about God's love. In verses 1 through 7, we see the story of the lost sheep. In verses 8 through 10, as Jake mentioned, read today, we see the story about the lost coin. And then at the end of the chapter, we have the story of the prodigal son, the lost son. And time won't allow us this morning to look at all three. So let's just examine the first parable, the lost sheep and the seeking shepherd, which is Jesus. Now, as last year, right at about this time on Super Bowl Sunday, I preached a sermon, a sermon on the good shepherd. And we know the shepherd who seeks is the Lord Jesus Christ. We were all in the same position at one time, outside of the fold, dead in our sins, enemies of God. But the good shepherd sought after us. He saved us. He brought us into a saving relationship with himself. He brought us back into the fold, into the family of God. And as we look at this familiar parable in Luke, let's key in on a few truths that we find here in Scripture. Let's read it through together, and then we'll break it up into three digestible chunks. Luke 15, 1 through 7, we read, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost." I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. First, let's understand the setting of this parable. 
Because it just enhances the beauty of what Jesus is trying to, trying to tell us here, I think. And then we'll look at the heart of the parable and then the significance in verse 7. So, real quick, let's reread and let's uncover the setting of this parable. In 1 and 2, the setting is set. Now, all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. There was a huge crowd following the Lord that day. He wasn't repelling sinners. He was drawing them to himself. When Luke says all the tax collectors and the sinners, he's obviously making an exaggeration. But we can say at the least there was a large crowd following Jesus that day. Tax collectors. They were so despised and hated that they were in a category by themselves. If they were in one big room here together, it would be tax collectors over here, sinners over here. And if we line them up in a big line, tax collectors first, followed by the sinners. See, the tax collectors were the Jewish traitors of the day. They gave themselves to Rome to take taxes from their fellow Jews. They were able to keep all that they could take in over and beyond what was due back to Rome. There was no one more hated, despised than the tax collector. Nothing's really changed much in 2,000 years, has it? (laughs) They were the IRS of the day gone amok. They seemingly abused the system, willing to rob their fellow countrymen. Their hearts were filled with greed. Then they heard Jesus teach. It seems as though some finally realized that the more and more and more they sought after things of the world to satisfy them, to make them happy, it just wasn't getting the job done. The more they raked off the top for their own possessions, the emptier they were feeling inside. Their materialism was suddenly taking a back seat to what Jesus was teaching. This is where they were. And when they heard Jesus teach, suddenly, for some of them, the light was coming on. Jesus was a straight talker, and he enlightened them about the kingdom of heaven. He was compelling, and they're being drawn to him. And the other group is just lumped in as a category of sinners. That would be the rest of the outcasts, the prostitutes, drunks, thieves, robbers, riffraff, people with horrible reputations, lumped into a group of sinners. How interesting it is. That they were coming to Jesus. And the, and the words in the present tense, meaning that they were continually coming. It was an increasing flow of sinners coming to Jesus to listen to him talk, and he received them. Jesus was opening up, opening up his heart to them. He was putting his arms around them. He was teaching them about the kingdom of God. Jesus was eating with them. And when you eat with them, you talk to them and converse with someone. And they were listening to Jesus. The Son of God, the Alpha and Omega, the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Bread of Life, the Author and Perfecter of our faith, the Good Shepherd, the Light of the World, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Messiah. These are titles we find for Jesus in Scripture that rightfully describe him. But let's not forget people of the day. What were they saying about Jesus? What did they, what's the title they gave him? We see in Matthew eleven nineteen, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. The King of kings, the Lord of lords was known while he walked among us as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And he didn't mind that a bit. This is why he came, right? He came to save us. It's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus loved for them and he cared for them. So while the tax collectors and the sinners, the outcasts of society, are flocking to Jesus and he receives them, the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble. Boy, we see that a lot in Scripture. These two religious groups of leaders grumbling. They were like professional grumblers. They had a Ph.D. in grumbling. While they walked away from Jesus, others walked in. Those who were open to the truth, who wanted to learn the truth, who knew they were sinners. And because they knew this about themselves, that they were sinners, when they heard the message of God's grace, of his forgiveness, what joy must have flooded their hearts. They were coming and sitting at his feet and delighting in the possibility that their sins could be forgiven, that their past could be done away with. That their life could start new. They could be born again into the kingdom of God. You know, us, who are the cast-offs of society, they surely thought. Us, who are at the bottom of the social class. We, who when others walk by us, they give us those judgmental glances. We, who have been separated out from everybody else due to our behavior, could be part of the kingdom of heaven. They were flocking to Jesus and listening to him gladly. But those who were stuffed with pride, who were religious, who were born in the synagogue or born in church, who grew up in a synagogue, grew up in church, thought they owned the synagogue, thought they owned a pew in church. When they heard Jesus teach, they were insulted because they were stuffed full of pride. They were religious people and boy, God was sure lucky to have them. In the synagogue or on church on Sunday morning. By way of application for these first two verses, I think it's obvious. We need to be like Jesus, right? We're in this world not to be isolated from this world. We're in this world to reach others for Christ. This means we need to live out there where sinners are and put our arms around sinners. While we condemn the sin, we need them to know that we reach out to them in a gentle fashion with the gospel, out of love. We need to receive them when they want to learn more and be the friend of sinners like our Lord. We're not the enemy of sinners. We're to be the friend of sinners. And how we need to continually reach out where we live, where we work, or where we go to school. Often, we look around the workplace, and we look around our school and our neighborhood, and we say, I must be the only Christian here. Looking, observing the behavior of others in my workplace, in school, in the neighborhood, I have to be one of the few, if not the only Christian here. And maybe instead of bemoaning that or complaining about that fact, we should be praising God that we have the opportunity to be a friend to someone who is lost. We should praise God. He's placed us right where he wants us to be a witness, to plant eternal seeds about forgiveness offered through Christ, to be a friend. Of sinners, What an amazing dynamic, I think anyway, going on here as we set the stage for this parable. Religious hypocrites grumbling, but tax collectors and sinners drawing near 
to the Lord, soaking up his message, hanging on every word. You would think these religious leaders would be excited. We have sinners coming to church. We have tax collectors coming to the Lord. But it was the opposite. So we set the stage. Now let's look at this parable. So he told them this parable saying, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. So he draws this parable from a very familiar scene to hearers of the word that day. Uh, They were very accustomed to shepherds and sheep. Um, it's not uncommon at all. I mean, even to this day, when Tina and I were over there, right when you get outside the city, immediately, at times, you start to see shepherds, Bedouin and shepherds. And every hill you see, there's trails up and down the hills where the sheep are constantly walking. So this is something very familiar to them. And he says, what man among you? What's the implication there? Who wouldn't do this? Right? What man? Every man, every good shepherd would do this if he has a hundred sheep and lost one of them. So the story kind of has a sad beginning. He's lost one of them. You know, sheep are, as you know, are prone to go astray. They're like a 16-year-old. We've got a few of them driving in Springfield for the first time. Downtown, their instincts are gone. They don't know where to go. They have no instincts of where to go. Like kids in a mall who wander away from their parents, have no instincts of where they are, where to go. You know, that, that happened to us. Scariest moment of my life. We had a sheep that wandered in a mall once. He was two, almost two. Olivia was a couple months old. Both of them are in, a, in our stroller. And we go up to the counter and we're paying for the clothes we bought. And we look down and Otto's gone. Gone. Not there. I can't even describe the feelings that I had of panic, of horror, of panic again. I mean, at this elevated level, right? My son is lost. He's gone. We, uh, we frantically, and boy do I mean frantically, Tina darted out of that store, found a security guard, told him we're missing a child, started running into all the other stores, grabbing every woman who has a child, turning them around, looking at them. Is that my boy? Is that my boy? I'm running around the main part of the mall, up and down escalators, looking at all the hiding spots. We lost our son. <laughs> well, obviously we found him. See, he's sitting right there. So <laughs> we found it. But a security guard came up. Um, what seemed like took forever. I mean, time literally stood still. It was probably 10 minutes. And a security guard comes up with Otto. And, oh, and re- we were reunited. And here we see something, something, something very similar. The shepherd, the shepherd has lost a sheep. No doubt at the end of his shift, he's counting. 99. It's got to count again. I've lost one. I've lost one. And we might think in, in our day and age that we'd just write one off. Well, 99 is okay, but not this shepherd. To lose one would be devastating. He loved these sheep. He calls each one by name. He's painfully aware one is lost and he won't be able to sleep. There'll be no rest until he goes and finds this sheep. There's no rest in his soul until he finds this one sheep because... Each individual sheep is so valuable to the shepherd. It's not enough 
that the statistics are good or there's 99 there. It would be much easier for the shepherd to think that way, but not this shepherd. He must seek the lost sheep. He goes out on the hillside in the canyons, whatever it takes, looking to where the sheep might be trapped. We're not told where he finds a sheep, but he looks and 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 he finds the lost sheep. We read that in verse 5 and 6. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. When he finds it, he lays it on his shoulders and carries it back. Where the sheep wandered off on its own, the good shepherd will carry it back. Maybe it was dark. He didn't want that to happen again, the sheep to go astray again. But he personally picks up this sheep, puts it on his shoulders with the legs right here, and carries it back. That's a beautiful picture. He doesn't scold that sheep. He doesn't lecture that sheep. He doesn't smack the sheep upside its head. He's just so happy. His heart is overflowing. His rescue mission is over. He could not be happy until the sheep was found. And whatever time it is, it doesn't say. But he comes home and he calls together his friends and his neighbors. He wants them to share in his joy with him. He says, rejoice with me. I'm happy. You must be happy with me. Share my joy. For my sheep, which was lost, is found. I have a hundred out of a hundred now. It's safe, and it's in my possession. That's the story he told that day. This is what the tax collectors and the sinners needed to hear. This is what the Pharisees needed to hear. It's almost like he's saying, you will never understand why I spend time with sinners until you understand the heart of God. Because what rejoicing there was in the shepherd's heart that day. It's hard for us to maybe put that in the proper perspective, but we get a glimpse of it on earth. I've told you maybe once before, maybe twice, but I'll tell you again. I mean, I had a really good friend in high school who we did a lot together day after day, every day almost for three years. We would spend time together. You know, one of those close buddies. Well, he was lost. He never came to Christ. He didn't grow up in a Christian family. He wasn't saved. And boy, as I thought about him Back in my behavior with him, I just wished I would have been a better witness when I had the opportunity during those three years. So I just prayed and prayed and prayed for him over the years. And after we had Otto, you know, when I started taking my faith a little more seriously, he started to see changes in my life. And although we were separated, we'd talk on the phone, we'd, come, we'd, we'd see each other a couple times a year, he started to notice changes. And eventually he wanted those changes in his life too. And at the age of 42, he was saved. He gave his life to Jesus and became a Christian. I mean, Jesus became his Lord. He didn't just join a religious organization. Jesus became his Lord. And, he, and his faith has grown and his service has grown. And I tell you, when I heard that, I can't even explain the joy that was in my heart. How happy, how happy, how happy I was. And to think similar rejoicing occurs in heaven when one lost sinner is found and comes to the Savior. In fact, uh, Jake read that verse for us today. In verse 10 of chapter 15 of Luke, the very next story, the lost coin, we read, In the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. 
And then the story of the prodigal son after this one, the father becomes so deliriously happy when his lost son is found. He just says, sell the fatted calf, put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet. Rejoice with me, my son who is lost is found. And the word celebrate is used over and over and over and over for the rest of the chapter. So that leads us to this conclusion. A major point Jesus is trying to make with this parable. We read in verse 7. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. He says, I tell you, this is important. It's almost like he's saying, truly, truly, I say to you, this is important. And I tell you, in the same way. So he's going to make this application for us. Earthly story, heavenly meaning. He's going to make this application. In the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. So as the shepherd in our story returned and his friends gathered around him and they celebrated, so too there will be joy in heaven with the Father with angels, all members of the Godhead, there will be a similar celebration, a holy celebration, when one sinner comes home. Over one sinner who does what? Repents. Who turns away from sin. Who turns away from the idol of self. From self-centeredness. Who wants to be born anew. Who turns in humility to God and to His Son, Jesus Christ. And then he pivots and he redirects the statement back to the Pharisees. Then over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. It's it's not that the Pharisees didn't need repentance. It's that they thought they didn't need to repent. They're so self-righteous. They don't see the need that they need to be forgiven. They assume they can work their way to heaven. They assume they did not need to be born again. We see the condition of their hearts many times in Scripture. In Luke 16, verses 14 and 15, we read, Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. And he said to them, meaning Jesus, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. They're stuffed full of pride. They don't see their need for repentance. And in Luke 18:9 we read and he meaning Jesus told this parable to some people who what trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. These are the Pharisees. They felt they were too good, too righteous to be saved and that was their problem. Are we like them in any way? Do we scoff at sinners? Do we view others with contempt? So Jesus addresses them in the conclusion of the story that there's more joy in heaven for one sinner, one tax collector, one prostitute, this one drunk over there, the 99 religious but lost people who never repent and never come to faith in Christ. That shows us the heart of Jesus. That's why he spent time with sinners The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. That's an unmistakable truth we find in Scripture. John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep. And way back in Isaiah, in the Old Testament, we read in Isaiah 40, 11. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, 
he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. That's the heart of Jesus, a shepherd who loves his sheep, who seeks his sheep, who saves the sheep and celebrates over the sheep when they're saved. He he leaves the fold and goes out looking. He did that for each one of us in the room today. He looked for us. He left heaven to come down and look for us. Jesus went to the cross to die for you. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit in the world to find us. Are we being like him? Are we looking for sinners in love and telling them about God's love for them? We were running away from Christ, giving into our flesh, giving into sin. We were like the lost sheep in the story today. And it was Jesus who called to us, found us and saved us. Picked us up on his strong shoulders when we submitted to him. As our Lord, when we repented and died to our old life, we were born anew. Are you like the lost sheep? All of us were. But are you still lost? Are you a sinner who hasn't accepted Jesus as your Savior? And now we have the assurance that he will carry us in this life all the way to the end. And he will save us through his grace and his grace alone. And when that day comes, he will celebrate over us. He's not emotionless. He's not an emotionless, stoic savior. He's full of passion. He's full of love. He's devoted to a sheep. And when we're called home to heaven, we see in this scripture that he gathers the angels and there's joy in heaven. So as the body of Christ in 2018, I do hope this challenges us this morning. I hope we evaluate how we look at people. What we think when we see someone who is down on their luck who looks a little rougher than we do, or from their appearance is obviously caught up in a lifestyle of sin. We hate the sin because we see the horrible consequences from it. It grieves God and it should grieve us. But the people, see them as Jesus sees them. When you look at someone and a judgmental or self-righteous thought just pops into your head, pause. And think for a second, how would our Lord Jesus be looking at this person right now? He has a deep, deep love for them. He wants to rescue them. He's searching for them. He's calling for them. And as the body of Christ, let's help him out with that in every way that we can. Let's stand and sing.